you're in a leadership position and you're bad at it, I don't know what that term is, but it's definitely not leader. And that's what I keep hearing. Oh, this person's a bad leader. Well, if they're a bad leader, they're just not a leader. They're just a dick. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know what I mean? Firehouse Vigilance presents The Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Now that I moved, I forgot all my books out in the office. So That's all right. We just have to go whatever. from Whatever. Let's just, we'll let's just, do just it. go. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. All right. I gave, the, I gave you a sweet intro. I really worked hard on that. I missed it. Can you do it again? I want you to tell <laughs> I want you to, I want to. I want to hear all that stuff again. So what's up? What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about all this, all this stuff ironed out. Yes. This I, got is, my, I got my beer. We've been working yep. so hard to make this scrap happen. And you've, you've been gracious to put up with the technical difficulties, both the first time and this time. Um, I want to start straight up with fully involved. I mean, honestly, Mark Von Oppen fully involved. I don't think there's two things that go together better than peanut butter and jelly. So where did it start? And, and give us the, the, the inside scoop on its evolution well where it kind of started was i i think uh gosh i it's so hard to to put it all into like one one you know uh one synopsis like how it all started and where it where it began but where i guess it really all started was um a number of years ago i went to um a class in monterey california where uh i it was a rapid intervention class. And the reason why I went was there was a company officer who I worked with, who I really liked, who told me that there was a, a rapid intervention class in Monterey that had a live fire component and I, needed, and I needed to go. And at that time, our department was doing a lot of live fire training. So I was super jazzed about the job, super excited and um, went down and took this class. And the live fire component was a super small component of it. Uh, but um, the instructors that I met down there, um, I really like their teaching style and, and the way that they did things. And it, it reminded me a lot of, of some of the coaching I had received growing up playing sports and they were really great people and super knowledgeable and super nurturing in the way that they went about things. And so I took the class and the class was really challenging. And it was at a time in the fire service when I was still fairly new. I think I've been on the job <clears throat> four or five years at the time. I'm not sure, but it was at a time where I think that sometimes you feel like your skill set's pretty good. Right. And you're pretty confident. I was, you know, I'd been, like I said, on the job about five or six years. I was 30 or 31 at the time and and felt like I had a good handle on the job. And then I went and took this class and it kicked my ass. Like <laughs> it was something that it was so challenging and and so beyond my skill set at the time that I said, God, I got it. I really got to get better. And, and so I uh, went down and took the class a number of times, started to get on, you know, asked the, the, the instructors if I could help out and, and they were gracious enough to bring me on and, and let me do some things and work my way into teaching. And then, um, through a lot of self exploration and, and, and stuff. Um, I, that's kind of how fully involved started. It was, it was a way of, you know, challenging myself and through, through that teaching and through exploring stuff on the internet, that was a time where a lot of blogs were really starting to blow up. Um, fire service warrior was really big. That was where I met Chris Brennan and got into that real, you know, that, that, that firefighter mindset where you really have to challenge yourself and really try to learn and try to, you know, almost that, you know, Navy seal type mentality. Right. It was that type of devotion. And that's where 
Um, and I'm not saying I ever approached that level, but that was where I met Brian. Right. Brian Brush, because you know, Brian was writing for Fire Service Warrior at the time. And actually, as I started sort of getting into writing and getting into blogging, Brian was one of the people who actually really started to move my stuff along with some people that he knew. Um, so he was really instrumental in, in the development of Fully Involved, where he saw it and we were sort of speaking the same language. I had seen some of his stuff and was inspired by his writings and and watching him pull a hose around the drill grounds in Colorado and, and throw weights around and stuff. I mean, he's very manly. He said, I'm a good lover. I don't, did, did that make it on the air or did I just give something away? No, no, he def- it definitely made it on the air for our little uh, technical, uh, during our little technical journey. Oh, okay. So we'll see. If you he- guys got the tour of the house. But anyway, so he was, re- he, he helped move some of the stuff along. He, he pushed it along to Rhett Flights, um, who was a guy who, who uh, ran a blog page called The Fire Critic. And, and so he would scour the, the, the blogosphere looking for stuff that he liked. And, and Brian pushed some of my stuff along there. So that's where it really started to get noticed and started to get um, some momentum. So I had some people that, that I really admired and I enjoyed their work. And, and was, was, you know, there have been people who have been helping me along the way. You know, Brian and Chris and a lot of people with Fire Service Warrior, uh, Gary Lane, um, you know, Travis Rask, a lot of different guys um, that, that helped me out and, and believed in the message and really helped, you know, develop it. So from there, a couple articles got published in Fire Engineering Magazine. And then um, the, the blog on Facebook started, uh, had a separate blog through Fire Engineering and, you know, a lot of what fully involved is is it's not they're mostly pep talks that i'm having with myself things that i'm trying right. to remind my, i'm serious no, i get things it that i'm trying to remind myself of and, and if you look at where it goes in terms of you know what the mood of it is it's it's kind of how i'm feeling what i'm thinking and what i'm seeing in the or going on in the world right now you know and, and that's kind of what it is so oh. hey i'm right here hold on I uh, I fell over. Did you see that? That was cool Somewhere. too. We're along for the ride. This is this is this is real high production quality. <laughs> Sorry, Corley. Welcome to the scrap. Uh, I'm doing my best. So um, anyway, so that's kind of it's kind of how it started, I guess. And then it it you know it it went from there. It went to uh, people asking me to come out and, and speak at their department, like I did, you know, for you guys, and, and that. And so. It's been really humbling. It's been a really cool thing, but it it hasn't been something that I've been doing on my own by any means. There's a lot of people who've really helped out behind the scenes, and a lot of people who um, continue to do so. Uh, there are people who I, you know, entrust to be proofreaders uh, to sort of be, uh, if nothing else, sort of watchdogs for me, so that I don't, you know, put things out there that maybe I shouldn't put out there. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, you know, it's like. You got those people that are actually guarding the button to the nuclear, you know, <laughs> the nuclear codes. weapons, so I don't hit, you know, I don't hit detonate or something. So, and detonate my life and my career. But yeah, there's a lot of people who have been very instrumental in it. I'm very thankful for for all of them. And I, I mentioned a couple, but there's so many I can't I can't mention all of them. So, very humble. I mean, I get that giving the credit to everybody that's involved in making it what it's been come. Um, one thing I always say, and it kind of messed up the intro, which is if anybody out there watching live has questions for Mark or myself, hit them up on the Facebook and we will definitely get to them. Uh, like I said, fire by trade, uh, Hannah Elliott said, don't jinx the net. LJ guy said the man, I'm assuming he's talking about Mark von Oppen. 
And then Jeffrey Bryant Jr. said, what up, Mark? Hope all is well, bro. There you go. So moving on. So definitely hit us up with your questions. But now moving on, uh, Mark, you have been doing this for a long time. And that's not a knock on your age. But what is the key for you to keep your intensity so high? Well, I I think that's a, <laughs> I think that's a challenge for everybody. And I think that like anybody else, I think, you know, my my motivations wane quite a bit. And and the longer you go in this thing, it's you know, your motivations come from different directions. But I think what really motivates me currently in my current state, you know, early on with fully involved, a lot of the things that, that motivated me was I was pissed off and I was I wanted things to change. I wanted things to change right now. And one of the things that I've learned is, um, you know, patience, um, being patient and, and, you know, things will come in time if you work hard at them. But I think the thing that really inspires me now is we're a really young department and we're getting ready to turn, turn over a lot of people in a pretty short amount of time. And I was just at a buddy's house this afternoon because my daughter was at a birthday party at a park about 30 miles away from here. And I made her walk. But I went over to a friend's house. Um, <laughs> no, but we were down at a buddy's house who lived right by this park, you know, you know, 30 miles away from here. And we were talking and, and he and I got hired together at the same time. He got hired about six months, six months ahead of me. And he made captain about a year ahead of me. And, and we worked at, at American Medical Response um, in the 90s. And, uh, you know, he's we've both got about eight years left ish <clears throat> before we can retire. And um, he's the second most senior captain in our department right now. And I'm the third. Wow. So that was something that, that really, you know, was kind of a shocker to me, a, a realization that, hey, you know, we're the old guys right now. And, and we're the ones who really have to, you know, teach and pass on all of the love and the knowledge that we have for the fire service to the new people coming along because we're going to be gone soon. And it was that realization that, that you know, we are the old guard right now. And, right. and so that's, that's what's currently motivating me is, is really trying to kick myself in the ass and, and be excited for the job again and see it through the eyes of the new people that we're hiring. Um, because sometimes I think it does get a little bit stale. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it's, sure. it's, I've been in fire and emergency services for 26 years, you know, between working on an ambulance and then working in the fire service. So it's a long time. So, um, Motivation certainly is a factor, and I think that those motivations change. But currently, for me, it's it's the fact that we've got a lot of really new, young, enthusiastic people. You just see the looks on their faces; they're so excited, you know, to be there, and it's cool to see. No, absolutely, and, and yeah. So that's that's what's motivating me. That's right your now. key right now. Mm-hmm. No, and you hit on it, man. It's just it's a long career. I mean, there, there's a time when you go on your first, you know, I don't even want to this auto ejection on an MVA, and you're like, what, you know, and then and 15 years later, it's just old hat and you just, it doesn't even phase you anymore. And so that's a, that's a tough thing to stay plugged in and caring and intense. If that makes sense, what I'm saying. No, absolutely. And I, I, you know, when you said an auto ejection with, you know, a pin job or whatever it is, I Insert, mean, I, yes. I think about, I think about being in the Academy and we used to have to ride along on Friday nights in the Academy. We go to the Academy Monday through Friday. And then we were the only agency that had to ride along on Friday nights. And it was, you were exhausted and, and sometimes you didn't want to go because you were just wasted, tired. And all you, everybody else was going out to drink beers on Friday night <laughs> right. at the academy. And you had to go to your station. But I can remember, you know, it was we were at the end of the academy and towards the end. And I was uh, it was a really warm night and I had gone to our headquarters station. We had a truck, an engine, the battalion chief there. And 
I would jump back and forth on whatever rig was going out. And the truck was going out on a rescue and it was, the sun was starting to go down. It was like, you know, it was like eight 30 at night and, and we're rolling out and I'm sitting in the jump seat and we're on our way to this, this head on collision with a, with a, you know, a, an extrication and all that stuff. And I just remember listening to the wail of the siren and, and hearing the battalion and seeing the battalion chief trailing behind the ladder truck and just being so excited and yes. just having just that warm feeling all over. And, and turns out, you know, we got this kid out of this car, uh, only in Palo Alto do, you know, a Ferrari and a, and a Jetta go, <laughs> right. go head on together. But that, um, that was what happened. But, but like 15 years later, we ran into this kid at, at a restaurant and, and, you know, we came in as an engine company to pick up food to go out. And, um, this kid says, Oh, you know, you guys helped me out a couple of years ago. I was in a really bad car crash. And, and, you know, now I want to be a firefighter. And I said, Oh, well, where was it? And he told me where it was. And I said, were you driving a Jetta? And he said, yep. Yeah. I said, did you go head on with a Ferrari? He said, yeah. And I said, Hey, you know, that was like one of my first really cool calls as a, as a paid firefighter. So, um, you know, I didn't, I lost touch with the kid, but it was kind of a neat thing to, to have that happen. So I try to put myself back in that position now and, and think about that and think about how magic it is, because I say it a lot, you know, our job as we go along in the fire service, as we start to, things become, you know, less magic for us. Right. We have to keep it magic for the new people. Right on. You know, and make it magic for them. And, and even if it isn't, new and exciting for us remember what it looks like through their optics and 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 try to keep it fresh for them you know and, and don't crush their dreams you know don't become that that i, I say don't be that soul-sucking turd that sucks the life out of the new people you know right so i'm hearing a lot of empathy here from from what you're saying you're you hearing that i don't oh, have yeah. any empathy none Zero? this is dead this is dead wood in here <laughs> fair enough uh dirt Janiac, I hope I said that right, brother. He said, did the Jetta win? Uh, the Jetta lost uh, because basically it hit that wedge, you know, the, the Ferrari and the, uh, the, the kids' feet were all and, and legs were all twisted in the, the, front, the front wheel and all that stuff was up against the, the uh, transmission tunnel. And, and he, was, he had actually bilateral open tib fibs, Oof. bilateral femurs, I think. Um, but Ended up doing okay. It was like a. It was probably about an hour extrication. It was nasty because he he went off the he went off the Ferrari and then wrapped a horseshoe around a tree. So bad day. Yeah. All right. So moving on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've kind of touched on this already, but I'm still going to ask the question, which is how has your per- perspective changed through the years, and anything you realize now that young von Oppen would have scoffed at? Um. <clears throat> I think uh, when we're young, we're, we're very impatient. I, I touched on the patience thing, and that's one of the things I think I've learned is, is being patient. Um, we're super impatient, and I think sometimes we don't give the old people in the department enough credit for what they know and how sure. long they've been around. No doubt. And I think that that's something that I've actually learned uh, now that I've gotten to that point. You know, it's kind of – there's a tendency to sort of feel as you get – longer in the tooth in a department that it's no longer your department anymore. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, you, yes. you, you kind of, you work there for, you know, 30 years or whatever it is. And, and the other day I was 
you know, I was working on a crew. Um, I was working an overtime shift and we had four people on the crew because we had a, a firefighter cadet there because we, we have a cadet program. Um, and I'm sitting there at the dinner table with these three other kids and none of them, I don't think any of them were over the age of 32. And here I am almost 49, you know, going to be 50 and um, before I know it. And I'm looking around going, God, I'm the old guy. So, you know, there's a, it's interesting too, because when you, when you sit and you talk about things um, and, and you listen to the old people talk, I remember I would hang on their words, you know, and I would really, when they would talk about fires or rescues or things like that, you know, um, I sort of wish I'd placed a little bit more value on that. You know, there, there'd be times where I would sort of uh, be young and brash and immature and, and not give the senior people the credit that I should have. Sure. Um, and I think that that's something that if I could go back, I would change. You know, I would really try to, and I got better about it, you know, as I, as I, as I worked my way along, you know, probably about 15 years in, I really started to realize that, there was so much more that I needed to learn and institutional knowledge that I needed to glean from the people that were walking out the door. So, you know, I, you know, be more patient and, and listen more, listen more than you talk. Cause, uh, you know, I have a tendency to talk a lot. It's probably why you had me on your show. <laughs> no. And I mean, I got a, I got a 20 year old son now and, and growing up through his teenage years, I could tell him stuff and he would just roll his eyes, you know, and it infuriated me. But then later on, he'd do something where I knew he actually heard it. And it's always uh, teenagers and young people in general. But, no, that whole thing completely real. I think uh, you came to uh, Brian Brush's first leadership conference in Edmond. You were the keynote speaker. And then the next year was Dave McGrell. And Dave McGrell says something on that. I went to catch that next one. And he says that we eat our – the fire service eats its young and disregards its old. You know, And so it's, that's kind of what you're touching on almost right there. Yeah, and I think that I think that there's actually a ten year cycle of abuse that occurs in the fire service. Seriously, and and I I think that it I think that you know people when they first come in their first ten years, um, they're really excited about the job, really naive, really they'll do anything, you know, and they'll work super hard. And and the agency or, or the fire service does a pretty good job of of using that and and abusing it. You know, if, if people want work, they'll just keep giving it work and keep giving it work, giving it work. And it, it, you'll see that in your departments where the same, you know, 10% of the people do 90% of the work, right, or more until those people burn out. Yes. And then they become sort of, you know, um, then they become a little bit bitter maybe for the next 10 years. And maybe they start, they check out and maybe then they start abusing the new people coming in, Right. For the next 10 years, and then for the last 10 years, they're put out to pasture, like you said, and they're basically put away in the retirement home and nobody cares what they have to say. So, you know, I think that, you know, we really need to find a way, and I've said it a number of times in, in different ways, we have to find a way of maintaining a healthy level of engagement through the entire career, whether it's 20 years, 25 years, 30 years in our case. But, you know, find a way to really, you know, keep people healthy for their entire time and it, because priorities change you know when you after a certain amount of time you know if if life takes you in that direction you know you maybe start a family have kids all that stuff and so your attentions are divided and you can't give as much to the fire service as you did maybe in your first 10 years and then then if you're if you're you know paying more attention to your family than you are the fire service there'll be people that'll accuse you of checking out sure oh so you're checked out you don't want to do anything anymore no i've got 
kids, you know, I, I got to, they're only going to be around for a certain amount of time too. Right. You know, so, you know, so they need all out effort also. Yeah. And that's, that's something that, uh, you know, I think some of us find out some, some of us find out before it's too late and some of us, too you late. know, it does become too late, you know, oh, and no that's, doubt. yeah. So, mm. all right. Moving. <laughs> Number one question I receive, and I know you're probably tired of hearing this, but it is the, I'm fired up and fully involved, you know, my, but my department's culture is the worst. What can I do? Uh, realize that the world doesn't need you to fix it. I think that was one of the realizations that I came to a number of years ago. I was sitting and sitting in a, in a room with a bunch of people that I had no business being in the room with. There was Alan Brunacini and, and a bunch of other people. And, and, you know, we were going around the room sharing our stories. And of course, you know, Chief Brunacini was, you know, wrote books on culture and all that stuff and created, you know, a pretty amazing culture in Phoenix and, and, and a lot of things that, that other departments model, but, um, you know, one of the gentlemen who was in the room and I don't remember who it was said, you know, one of the things that that was instrumental in me, um, you know, keeping my sanity was, um, I was fired up like you were saying and, and wanted to change the world and nobody wanted to listen. And, you know, I guess, you know, what I gleaned from that, the world doesn't need you to fix it, you know, control what you can control. Um, that's, that's what you have to start with. You have to start with you. And if you're trying to get everybody to love the fire service or love what you love about the fire service exactly the same way that you do, that's going to be the root of, root of your unhappiness. And you have to really, you know, ration your passion, for lack of a better term. Like you know, that. I mean, just, I, yeah. well, I stole that from somebody else. One of our medics said, you got to ration your compassion. And so I just said, you know, ration your passion. But you do, because if, if you're just pissed off and fired up all the time, you're going to turn a lot of people off. And so, I think that you have to find the thing that you're most passionate about, focus your energies on that, and then find people who share your same passions for those things and then try to move whatever that idea is along in a logical manner. And don't don't wear yourself out. Don't don't flame out because you're you're pissed off because things aren't happening right now. Um, there are a lot of things that happen in our department that, you know, some of us as firefighters tried to push and push and push and push for years, but it wasn't the right time. Then when we got promoted to company officer, we had some firefighters that revisited some of those things and pushed those things forward. And now that we were company officers and we were in a position to help those firefighters move things along, we were able to do that and make the progress that we weren't able to make. Sure. Um, So even if you're not the one able to move the ball forward, help the other people who can and, you know, that, that share that enthusiasm, you know, don't don't shoot them down, down, help them out you know, once you're in a position to do it, because it's pretty easy if you've been working and working, and working, trying to push something forward and you don't have any success to be bitter about it Absolutely. and then just let them be on their own and, and, and just go, Hey kid, you know, I didn't have any success with it. We tried that 15 years ago. Good luck. Right. Good you luck. Know, you're on your own. Saying, yeah. Rather than saying, Hey, here are the roadblocks that we ran into. Uh, this was what worked for us. This is what didn't, this is where we got stopped. Let's do this and, and let's overcome these things together. And then make sure that those young people get the credit for it. You know, the, the new people coming up. That empathy you don't have is showing through again. You're making me sound wimpy. Should <laughs> I sound? I don't think so. Tougher. I don't think so at all. Uh, <laughs> Fire by trade says, ask Mark 
about the trip back from getting picked up at the airport for that gig. I'm assuming he's talking about the Edmund Leadership Conference in Oklahoma. But he said, "Yeah, that was pretty awesome." He actually tells the story better than I did. But when we uh, he picked me up, and uh, if Ryan gives you the thumbs up or something, tell I think I'm telling the right story. But we're on our way back from the airport, going. I think we're going to his place, and um, we're we're driving down the freeway, and all of a sudden the traffic stops. We're in his training pickup truck. There's there's no equipment in it. There's nothing. And all of a sudden he goes, "Oh, dude, check it out!" Yeah, because Brian's from California, so he. He says, oh, dude, right. so he goes, check it out. Sure enough, there's a Volkswagen on its side. And uh, I guess this lady had sideswiped a semi truck and, and got kind of mixed up in the wheels and got on her side. And then the truck kept going. And so the truck's on its side. And Brian's like, hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it. I'm going to park the rig in an angle, block traffic. And I'm trying to jump out. <laughs> and I'm in my you know sneakers and all that stuff. And I'm trying and I'm trying to jump in the car, see if the lady's all right. He's got like one wedge you know, one piece of cribbing, you know, uh, that he's got <laughs> in his truck. He shoves it under the hood to try to stabilize the vehicle. The lady was fine, but um, uh, the Oklahoma City Rescue Company showed up and a bunch of other people showed up. It was kind of cool. So, um, but yeah, he hadn't even stopped the truck and I'm trying to jump out. He's like, dude, wait, I got to stop the truck. And I'm, yeah. So yeah, that was, that was probably the story, I think. <laughs> Uh, Bill William also said, we only have our kids for 18 summers. So tacking on to that priorities deal and uh, seasons. No, absolutely. And and that's the thing too. You know, like I've, I've got, my kids are, my son's a senior going to be, and my daughter's a junior and they're getting ready. I mean, with COVID, you know, they're home all the time. So this is a, this is a good opportunity really to, to try to spend, you know, time with them that I, you know, didn't get to do when they were younger, right. you know, cause I was, you know, more concerned with, and that's a th- sad thing though, is, you know, a lot of times, and, and I, I felt prey to this, I was more concerned with my own career and where I was going in the fire service. And I thought I'd always get that time with my kids. And, and, um, I'm quickly realizing that, that, uh, that, that goes away. Um, and you don't get it back. So, but you know, the good news is, right now they're not going back to school yet. So we've got, we've got time to have them in the house. And so it's been good and bad having them around all the time. But the, the good thing is we get to spend more time with them. And I think they actually, my son's really starting to realize it too. Um, because he's looking to go into the military when he graduates from high school. And so he's, you know, um, starting to realize that if he goes to boot camp next June, that, that he's counting down the, the days and months. Days. Oh man. Well, no, I mean, and, and he's like, gosh, you know, I'm only going to be home, you know, nine more months or 10 right, more months, but right. it is. And yeah, so he's, he's coming to that realization. And so, and you're talking yeah. about that hindsight, man, the hindsight, like, you know, it's that so clear, so crystal clear. All of us have a, yeah, I think if we look back at our kids can always say, I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd have done that. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the hard thing is you're just, I don't know. There's no manual on it. Right. And, and everybody's just doing the best that they can. And it's, it's, it ain't easy. There's no doubt about it. So uh, LJ Geist chimes in and says, Corley, you know I like to learn what I can about leadership, so I want to know what Mark's definition of leadership is. Definition of leadership. Uh, there you go. There's a softball. There's a softball. <laughs> well, that's well, that's a softball except for, um, you know, I, I don't know. That's kind of a, a broad-based question. There's so many different facets to that. I think it's – it's setting the right example and, and, um, 
you know, teaching as much as you can. I don't, I don't have like a rote definition of it, but I, I think if you, if you look around right now at, you know, a lot of what we're seeing in the world, you're seeing some pretty, um, pretty good examples of, of what leadership is not, um, unfortunately, but, um, and I think sometimes if you just do the opposite of what you're seeing out there in the news and stuff, sometimes you're going to be doing the right thing, but it's, you know, leadership is, is the ability to create influence. And I think that you do that through, you know, setting forth clear expectations and setting the right example and, and trying to do the best that you possibly can and being someone that has empathy and can, can put yourself in that person's shoes and you're able to, um, you know, speak to them and not speak at them. So, but I think that, you know, more than anything, leaders are the ones that create influence. Um, they're not necessarily the ones that need to be in front, but they put people in positions where they can be successful. Nice. No, I know. And when I said softball, I hope you were catching my sarcasm because it's such a multifaceted question. Yeah. I'm like, what? I'm a softball. I mean, that's like, that's <laughs> no, a, that was a perfect opportunity to sound really stupid. I'm like, oh, lot, okay, cool. Sorry, What's leadership leadership guy, right? Yeah, a lot of sarcasm. So no, mm-hmm. it's such a, yes. But I hope that answers LJ guys question. Corey Oppo says Aloha from the Honolulu fire department with two exclamation points. Hannah Elliott, Hannah Elliott comes with you and says, do you consider there to be a difference between leaders and managers? Yes, absolutely. I think that leaders are those um, charismatic people that people just seem to want to follow. And sometimes they're the idea people and they're the ones that say, you know, follow me and are really enthusiastic. And then the the, managers are the ones who take the leader's idea and actually flesh it out and make it work. I think that when you look around at, you know, some people who were great industry leaders like Steve Jobs, they always had their, their wingman who was, you know, in, in Steve Jobs case, it was, uh, Oh God, I'm going to forget. Wozniak, Wozniak, Steve Wozniak. So, you know, he was, you know, Wozniak was kind of the, 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 the quiet guy behind the scenes who, you know, Jobs, who was crazy and did acid <laughs> and all kinds of stuff like that, you know, it said, Hey, I want, I want this phone. That's a TV. That's a computer. I want it to fit in the palm of your hand. I want it to play music. I want to do all these things. And I want it, you know, to be super small and you better figure it out. You know, he's, he's watching, you know, old episodes of Star Trek and he wants right. a tricorder for everybody. Right. And, and so I think that there is a difference. And I think that, I think that what I've come to realize in, in terms of, I used to think that manager was a bad term. And I don't think that that's, I, I think that managers are absolutely necessary. And, and, you know, everybody wants those leaders, but if you have, you know, if you have an engine company, you've got three leaders on it, right? You're all going to be going in different directions, right? Three or four leaders. You need to have those people that, that can, you know, get everybody going in the same direction. That can be the leader too, but you also have to have that person that, that is, you know, the, the strong, silent, steady type that's just like that. doing the work. I, you like know? And I think that's what managers do. So. I've always thought of managers as kind of like a dirty word. I, I didn't realize that until you just said that. that, that well, that just... think about it. I mean, if, if you know, those guys, that person's a manager. They're not a leader. Well, it's <laughs> like, okay, well, you need those too, right? I mean, you, you know, we want, I mean, there are people that are great leaders that can't, you know, figure out how to close a fire report or do any paperwork, right? And and you have to be pretty well-rounded. And those sure. Those are the things that I have to work on. You know, I'm terrible at computer work and I hate it. And I shows up in my annual evaluation all the time that I need to improve on it. So, you know, um, you know, yeah, I think that there is a difference, but I don't think that being a manager is a bad thing. I think if, if, if you're in a leadership position and you're bad at it, 
I don't know what that term is, but it's definitely not leader. And that's what I keep hearing. Oh, this person's a bad leader. Well, if they're a bad leader, they're just not a leader. They're just a dick. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yes, so, I love it. Uh, I need another beer. That's the opposite of uh, whatever a leader is. It's a dick. Right. There you go. Or, or worse. And uh, Alan Roofer said, great explanation of leader versus managers. There seems to be so many manager haters. Everyone wants to be a leader. The world needs managers. Absolutely. And that's the thing. I think that that's somewhere along the line that the, the term manager got to be a really dirty word. And maybe it's because people associate, you know, management with micromanaging and sure. and that sort of thing. And, you know, that person's just a manager. Da, 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 da. Well, you know, that person, whoever that that person is that you consider a manager, if they're in a leadership role, um, you can teach people to rise up and lead when they need to lead. They may not be that person that's leading all the time, 100% of the time, because it's not always necessary. And in and, and someone, you know, for someone to have to try to lead every single minute of every single day, that's exhausting. Oh, yeah. And you actually don't want that. You want people that, as, that are in leadership roles to lead when they need to lead, to recognize when they have to lead and step up into that position. You know what I mean? When it's needed. And then when you don't need to be there as a leader, if you've, if you've raised your people right in your organization, you basically eliminate your need to be there uh, yeah, and you only need to beautiful. be there for the, the big decisions. Right on. So, no, um, and the better the leader you are, the less you need to lead. I mean, that's just bottom line uh, over time. Well, I think that, I think that that's a function of, of humility and just growing up. I think that there's a certain, I think that as you grow into leadership positions, if you get it, I think you kind of always get it. And you recognize the fact that you don't always have to be the loudest person in the room and it's okay to allow other people to do what they do best. Um, I know for a fact that the crew that I have right now, I never have to be there and they're going to do the right things. I mean, the, the rigs are going to get checked out. The equipment's going to get you know ordered, whatever needs to be done. It's going to get done. And I basically, the way that I function in, in, in the firehouse that I'm in right now is, is I'm the third firefighter and I'm the captain when I need to be right. because, you know, I mean, my, my engineer's got 26 years on, he's, he's got, you know, four years, five years more than I do. My, my firefighter's got 19 years on or something like that. I mean, it, what am I going to tell them? Right. Right. You know, I, they, they know what they're doing and, and they're great at it. And when we get rookies in the firehouse, they do the training. And sometimes I think, you know, and I, that was something that I had to understand that, that as a company officer, when I show up sometimes out there with my bugles on and all that stuff, things slow down because it's like <gasps> the captain's here. It's like, no, 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 just do it. And so I, I've had to really kind of take a step back in that role. And I there's things that I teach, but, you know, in terms of that, that peer to peer learning, it's great. I was thinking you of know? your toilet plungers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, going back to great explanation of leaders versus managers. Yes. Uh, Hannah Elliott said, so what do you call those soul suckers in managerial positions? Which I think you might've touched on already. Dicks. Dicks. <laughs> and she also asked, I want to get this question in here for you. What is a mistake you made and learned from that you're willing to share? Oh, wh where do I start? Um, <laughs> God, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it kind of goes back to um, not being as respectful. If I can be kind of general about it, not being as respectful to the senior people 
as I probably should have been early on and not recognizing their contributions and, and not being quite as careful with my dealings with them as I probably should have been, you know, being probably more, a lot more arrogant than I probably should have been at a young age. Sure. You know, I, I, and I, you know, I don't know. I, I, it's hard because I think that, you know, when you, when you're new and you're young and you're excited and, and you work for a department that, that isn't super excited about well, when I got hired, I mean, we had a really old department and, and people weren't super excited about the job. And, you know, we were, there were a group of us that were out there trying to learn as much as we could. And you know, I don't know, I, I think I would be, I guess I'm sort of mistakes that I made is I was a lot more disrespectful than I probably should have been early on. And I, I wish I was, I wish that was different. And if I could go back and change it, I would. That's a good lesson. Thanks, Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> Hannah is Thanks, one Hannah. of the best. Yeah. Hannah's one of the best at, at picking at people. Uh, every guest on the scrap, she'll, she'll put them on the spot. So, yeah. uh, so Dirk Jan, Janiak, tell me if I said it wrong, Dirk, I'm sorry. So when the guys tell me that they don't need me, that means I'm a good leader. Uh, no, because he, he, they may tell you that they don't need you because they want to watch TV. But and he does have um, a big smiley, uh, crying face, uh, laughing crying no, face I, with it. So I get it. I, I get that he's <laughs> he's. I got his sarcasm. I didn't Fair get enough. yours. Um, no, but I think that through their actions, I think that that you'll realize that you don't need to be there. You know, I think that you know when when you see people, when you see things just happening on their own, you know, or when you know, uh, I always say that. There's two there's two reasons why people leave you um, as as a company officer. Um, either you've prepared them well enough where they've promoted and they fly fly away from the nest because they you prepared them and they're moving on to bigger and better things, or you're just such an asshole that they want to ex- escape your tyranny and they they leave. <laughs> they so have to get away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, I yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I think that you know when when you see things happening on your own, their own, and and you realize that you know, and it's not all you. I mean, it's 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 part of their moral character too. I mean, they 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 have a say in it too. But you know, if, if you're if you're guiding them in the right direction and steering them in the right direction, yeah, you don't need to be there. James Dorward, I find there are two main types of managers: the ones who only care about themselves while stroking their egos and their own priorities, and the ones who are there for the organization and the advancement of the members. So a statement there more than anything. Mm-hmm. So that's fair. So I have a question for you on buddy versus boss. And, uh, and this is something I, I, I wish I could credit the right person with it, but they basically, and I want to get your take on it, which is the person who has the authority, the badge, whatever does not get to really determine whether it's a buddy or a boss relationship. It is strictly the subordinates that can allow the person to be a buddy. If they take care of business, and if they don't, then they force that person to be a boss. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think it goes back to that. You know, I threw the term micromanager out there. And I think that, you know, the buddy boss thing, I think that um, I think that it is possible to be, you know, very close to your people. And, and yeah, I, I do think that, you know, it is sort of up to the, the subordinate to, to allow you to be friends with them. Right. You know, um, but you know, I always say that if, if, you know, I'm micromanaging you and you feel like I'm, I'm getting on you unnecessarily, you earned it. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I give you, I give you a lot of slack and I treat you like, like a, you know, like an adult and I'm going to give you a lot of rope and, and, 
you know, you've got a lot of autonomy, but as soon as you start to betray that, I trust you. And, and if we are friends, if we really are friends to begin with, you won't put me in a position like that as a company officer. That's my thing. And I've always said that. I said that, you know, my first interview for acting captain, I said, if, you know, the, the chief asked me, he said, you know, what happens if you've got a friend on the crew and they're not doing their house duties and da, 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 da. So I'm going to ask them to do it. And then if they continue to not do what they're supposed to do, you know, they're not really my friend anyway, because right. why would you put your friend in that position? And, and the thing is, most of our departments were so small that we are close with people and it's hard to, you know, especially my organization, everybody knows everybody. You can't sure. get promoted to go to a different battalion and be somebody that nobody's ever worked with before. It just right. doesn't happen. Right. So, you know, I think that there's a fine line to be, um, uh, you know, walked there. But I think that, that if we're respectful, we really do care about each other, which we should, we won't put each other in those positions where we're compromising our friendships. And then, you know, if, if, uh, if that's the case, if, you know, our friendship isn't that important to him, then piss on him. You know what I mean? It's just no, like, I don't, I don't, I don't have time for that. You know what I mean? No, I get it. So they determine the friendship, treat people yeah, right. Exactly. Um, Hannah Elliott's hitting you again and said, what do you think? Can you make an impact on others and your organization and not be vindictive? I find that it's common. If someone doesn't do you right, then a supposedly good person becomes mean. I don't know if there's enough. Well, I mean, define mean. Does does mean mean that you're having you have standards and you you're holding people to standards? I mean, my kids tell me I'm mean all the time and I tell them to take out the trash. You know, it's like, hey, your job is to take out the trash or set the table. Do it. Well, you're mean. I'm not mean. I'm just telling you to do your job. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it is possible to hold people to a standard without being vindictive. And if you set exam if you if you put the example um, out there and you tell people what you expect of them and then what they can in turn expect from you, then, you know, I don't think that's, I think it's pretty clear cut. Right on. If you're doing that, then, and if things go the way that they're supposed to go, if everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing as an officer and the crew's doing what they're supposed to be doing as a crew, then we never have to revisit it. And then it doesn't become vindictive if we're just doing our jobs. If everybody understands what their role is, then Sorry, I don't think there's any need for that. Yeah. Really, to keep the vindictiveness from coming in, it's just expectations, and it almost goes back to 10 for you, 10 for me, and, and just starting there. Yeah, it's all about communication. And yeah. I think that, you know, Brian actually posted uh, a thing on, you know, millennials and communication with them. And, you know, I think the, the article was, is, you know, it had something to do with millennials being difficult and, or was it a lack of mentoring? And that's why we don't understand them. And, and I commented on it that, you know, without, you know, clear communication, progress is impossible, you know, and I think that generational issues are cleared up when, when I sit down and I can talk to somebody who's much, much younger than me. And the article made some very good points. And if Brian is still on, ask him to, to type in what the article was. Okay. Um, but it was good. It was in firehouse and it talked about, um, millennials and mentoring and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I, I believe that, that we have to be able to see things through the same eyes. So I have to be able to sit down and and to talk to someone who's much, much younger than me and understand what their perspective is and where they're coming from. So again, that I'm speaking to them and not speaking at them. At them. And the whys and wherefores of what we do are super important. You know, we have to make sure that people understand why we're doing things, what it is, um, because in the fire service, you know, we do a really bad job of that where we actually implement things and then we 
tell people why on the back end. And it's, it's important that people understand the whys and wherefores. And that's why communication is so important, especially with, you know, the newer people. Um, because I think in that article, um, it was good. Um, they made mention of the fact that, you know, millennials are the first people to grow up in the information age and they have the answers to basically everything at their fingertips and you can't BS them. So, you know, if you say, just do it because I told you to, that doesn't really, right. That doesn't really satisfy. I mean, that worked for me because I was scared, Yes, sir. but, um, yeah, yes, sir. (laughs) But, um, you know, they, they need to know the whys and wherefores because that's, that's how their brains work. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that. We just have to understand how to communicate with them. No, and the crazy part is like the Zoomers or the IGN or whatever you want to call the next group, the next crop coming up is coming and, and they never didn't know the information age. It's just, yeah, crazy. Yeah. The, the generational. Uh, so moving on, uh, I have to move to book. I know that we left the books wherever the first location was. Book suggestions for firefighters that you think firefighters should read. What is Mark Von Oppen's book that you think people should read? Well, the one book that I always talk about that um, really, you know, was something that I, I really gravitated towards when I first started diving into leadership was a book called Small Unit Leadership. And um, the name of the author escapes me right now. But, um, you know, I've, I've been asked, you know, when I fly around the country, I've been asked by people, you know, I, when I tell them that I do leadership stuff, when I'm making small talk and talking to my single serving friend on the airplane. Like um yeah, if I, reference, um, I love it. Um, but when I'm talking, I had one woman ask me, she goes, she goes, Oh, you do leadership. Oh, that's really cool. You know, who are you a student of Maxwell or this person or that person? And I'm like, Oh, no, I'm a student of Fred von Oppen, who's my dad. And she's like, right. who? I said, well, I kind of stopped talking because we took off, but, um, small unit leadership is, is a, is a, it's a small, um, handbook on leadership that's really easy to read um it's short it's to the point but it it really drives home a lot of really basic fundamental uh leadership skills that you have to have and you know chief among them is putting your people first and and that um that was something that really you know spoke to me was that book so if you're looking to dive into leadership and um looking to make that you know take that step to the next level and really be able to you know uh do right by your people start by reading that book. It's super simple. It's super short. I think it's less than 200 pages and it's, it's small. It's small like, it's leadership. like mm-hmm, small unit leadership. I think it's, I think the author's name is Malone. I'm not sure, but great book. Like so you're going to look it up. I am. Damn it. I hope I'm right. Malone. Boom. What did I say? There you go. Small unit leadership Here. by Malone. Awesome. All right. Now, Dandridge then, Malone, isn't that who it is? I, did, I actually just closed the window. I'm sorry. I got, I, I verified Malone and let you go. So, but it's close enough. The, uh, thing we do on the scrap is called five questions for firefighters. It started as one question, which is the, what is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? But that was such a negative question. I tried to wanted to bring more positivity into it. So that's still question. Number one, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Yeah, I don't want question number one, though. I don't want the number one thing facing the fire service right now. I hate that question. All right. All right. We'll start with question two. But, no, go ahead. Okay. What's, what's number two? Number two? All right. So number one issue facing the modern fire service is pass. Number two is what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? Pass. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what's the most? 
What am I most excited for? Uh, I don't know. I'm most excited for the future. Like I said, I mean, I love seeing the new people coming in and I, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that, you know, when we move on, we're going to be in very good hands. Um, that's one of the things I'm most excited about is that we keep getting really good people in the fire service. That's hard to knock, man. <laughs> Sorry, the path. Uh, I honestly don't know if I should put these questions at the beginning because some of these you've already answered as we've as we've gone, but that's okay. Number three, what is the best rank position according to Mark von Oppen, the best ranker position to hold in the in the fire service? My favorite's been company officer, so um, I really enjoyed that. And to me, it's not that much different than being a firefighter. I just feel like I'm you know the person who just has to do a couple more reports than other people do, and I try to be a firefighter on the crew. And and you know when we arrive on on scenes of working incidents, my my role is a little bit different. Um, but I like the X's and O's of it. I like um, having to be a little bit more forward thinking and a little bit less task oriented. I do like the task level stuff. I miss being a firefighter. But the thing that I like about being an officer is, you know, if we get a fire, I'm going in on the hose line for first deal. That's what we're doing. So, I mean, it's it, it's cool because I, I like the challenge of being to set it, you know, being, you know, being tasked with setting incidents up for success and that sort of thing. So, I like the X's and O's of it, and I like the challenge of it. And I also like the fact that I'm still, you know, pretty much a firefighter. Literally the best of every world. That's, I mean, that's, yeah. that's 100%. It is the best position, according to me. So you just agreed with me, so I'm happy. Uh, number four, best advice you have ever received? Uh, be patient. And I talked about that a lot, too. Um, you know, be patient, and just not everything's going to happen uh, right away, and the world doesn't need you to fix it. You know, um, when there's very capable people. And like I said, when we turn the keys over to the, the new people, when we retire there, we're in very capable hands and um, everybody wants to do a good job. So um, I think that's the best piece of advice I've gotten is be patient and the world doesn't need you to fix it. Nice. Final question. Number five, heavy fire and tenable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? I want to be first in on the nozzle. That's what I want to do. Um, you know, based on order of arrival, I mean, we'll get in there. We'll VES the sh- Sorry. So we're going to VES the shit out of something. But, I mean, if, if we're first in and we've got tenable space, you know, I want to be in there on the nozzle um, going in and, and trying to protect that tenable space. Nice. Nice. Perfect, man. That's the, fi- that's the four questions for firefighters. Uh, the five questions. Okay. Well, fi- I'm going to turn about a hey, turnabout's fair play. I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think the biggest thing facing the fire service is right now oh man why you gotta uh give me how you like me now <laughs> uh i would honestly say as always it is a um it is the culture and the culture shift and i think you said it really well earlier when you said that 10 year that 10 year span of people rolling over and so the first 10 years, they don't respect the final 10 years and the final 10 years has no respect for the earlier. And it's that trying to create a culture that embraces each other and moves forward. And, and, and man, there's so many facets to it. It's a lot easier to ask that question and to answer it. Well, I think that what you just hit on though, I think is, is um, emblematic of what's going on in society right now. That's very, you know, just being able to, to bridge those, those communications gaps, those cultural gaps, all those things that we're really struggling with right now as a people and, and really fighting hate. I think that that's, I think that's the biggest issue facing all of us, not only in the fire service, but as a nation and truly 
I believe that the problem of hate in this country right now is the real existential crisis. I don't think it's I don't think it's COVID. I think it's it's just the intolerance that we have right now where we can't listen to each other and we don't, you know, we've got our minds made up and we're firmly entrenched. It's right now it's all about tolerance and it's all about community. We gotta figure out a way to do that. And we gotta figure out a way to be Americans again. The fear you know the severe amount of black and I don't mean that in a racial way. I mean black and white. Uh I'm on this side, you're on that side. Uh I'm right. Absolutely. You're wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and problems are solved in the gray. That's yeah. where we work things out is when we, we mix, you know, and, and because we're so black and white right now, it's, it's a big problem. And that's the thing I think that makes me saddest right now about everything that's going on in the United States right now is just how angry we are and, and how we seemingly are having a really hard time coming together. You know, because I think that, you know, we've seen in the past, you know, our generation, you know, Generation X has been through a lot of a lot of different things, a lot of different, um, you know, hardships. And, and we saw what can happen when something terrible happens in our country and we can come together after 9-11. Sure. And now we're seeing with this pandemic and a number of other things that have happened in the country, you know, subsequent to that, um, where we could have come together and we had the opportunity to do it. We're not doing it. And I think that that's, that's the real challenge facing all of us right now. And I would challenge everybody in this country to be more tolerant. Anybody that's listening to this thing, you know, come together as a community and really do those four things that we talk about. Do your job as a person, treat people right, you know, give all that effort and have an all an attitude towards trying to rebuild this thing. Okay. Because, you know, we have an opportunity to create something great coming out of this thing. And, and I hope we can do it. Nice. That is very nice. Uh, man, Mark, I can't say enough how much I appreciate you coming on and spending your time with me on a Saturday evening. I know we tried earlier in the week and uh, Facebook would not agree with us, but, uh, and then we got it, got it going on tonight. So, uh, well, thanks man. I appreciate it. I hope it wasn't too rambly, but, uh, dude, it was awesome. It was very fun. Um, and for everybody that came along and, and, uh, enjoyed the show, I hope you uh, had a good time. If you have questions, please post them in here and I will come back and revisit them. I'll send them to Mark. He will, I'll make him answer them in the comments. And if you see it, not live. So other than that, man, I hope, uh, the tone stays silent for everybody out there, unless it is burning. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you, Mark Von Oppen for joining us on weekly scrap number 42. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for listening to the weekly scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.